From the Valley of the Sun in Phoenix, Arizona, welcome to episode 243 of the What is Truth Catholic podcast. My name is Deacon Steve, and I am a permanent deacon in the Diocese of Phoenix. This Sunday, at least in the Diocese of Phoenix and throughout most of the Catholic Church, we celebrate the Ascension of the Lord. We contemplate the fact that Jesus ascends to the Father, but he does not abandon us. Jesus is with us every day of our lives. He has sent his Son to be with us, to help us and to guide us. May we be at peace that Jesus, who ascended to the right hand of the Father, is with us always. Let us not fear or be in despair. In episode 243 of the What is Truth Catholic podcast, we will first discuss our saint of the week, St. Pancras, who despite his youth gave his life to Christ. We hear a homily for the ascension of the Lord as the disciples witness Jesus' ascension. In the segment, Catholics in the News, we will learn about a journey of a Jewish woman. In the segment, Truth in the Media, we discover a new book by a well-known Catholic author. In the segment entitled, I Don't Get It, I would try to understand what happened to two parishes in California. Finally, during our Truth Topic of the Week, we will hear the truth from Pope Francis about the importance of vocal prayer. All of this plus music from Zach Hicks, who sings enthroned in heavenly splendor. This and more on episode 243 of What is Truth? Saint of the Week Little is known with certainty about the life of St. Pancras. But the essential facts are sufficient cause for admiration. Pancras was an orphan who traveled to Rome from the east in the company of his uncle. The pair converted to Christianity and then died for that conversion during the reign of Diocletian, the emperor of Rome. Pancras was perhaps 14 years old when he traded this life for a better one in heaven. He likely became well-known owing to his rare combination of youth and heroic witness. Moments of great danger for the Church are also moments of great grace. In her long history, the Church has passed through and continues to live many such dangerous, grace-filled times. St. Pancras's times were precisely such. If he had stayed in his native land, he likely would have died of old age. But he went in search of something, perhaps wealth, family, fame, we don't know, into Rome, the big city, just as so many people search for the same in big cities today. But young Pancras found what he probably wasn't looking for, God. And his decision to become a Christian quickly took a very serious turn for him. He was threatened with death if he did not burn incense to a false god. The boy stood fast. Like other famous young martyrs, the idealism of youth provoked both admiration and fury in his persecutors, and he was taken beyond the walls of Rome, 
to be decapitated. His feast day is May 12th. St. Pancras, who despite his youth made the ultimate sacrifice for the faith, our Saint of the Week. Homily of the Week. Today's homily is based on the readings for the Solemnity of the Ascension of the Lord, as Jesus ascends to his place in heaven at the right hand of the Father. I don't know about you, but one of the kind of movie genre that I really enjoy, video games I like to play, are basically adventures. The adventures about people on a mission. It could be the Avengers whose mission is to save the world. I'm playing a video game now where I play a person who's trying to uh, get to a place where I can get the crown to save the world from destruction. Either way, I love, and most of us, many of us, love games, movies, books, like Lord of the Rings, that show people on a mission trying to do something important usually, often, to save others, to help others, to make the world a better place. On this solemnity of the ascension of the Lord, we first hear from the Acts of the Apostles. And we hear that Jesus was baptized by John of the Jordan, and we also hear that he ascended to God's right hand. He was taken up. We also hear in the Gospel Jesus give the apostles instruction to go baptize, and then they witness his ascension into heaven. Jesus ascends to where he belongs, the right hand of the Father in heaven. Jesus goes there to prepare a place for us and to prepare us to the best of our ability and openness to the Spirit to join him in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus did for us. He ascended to his place in heaven to get us ready and to get heaven ready for hopefully our joining him there by God's grace. But yet, there's a part that's missing here for us. Before he went, as I said, Jesus gave the apostles a mission to go baptize. We, who await the kingdom of heaven, are given a mission as well. It is to bring Jesus Christ into the world by the way we think, feel, act, and basically are as a human being. Are we on a mission? What mission, if we're on a mission, are we on? Sometimes the mission that we're on is a mission of simply surviving life. It's like, let's just get through it sort of like the pandemic right now, just want to get it done. CDC says you don't have to wear a mask if you're vaccinated, but how do you know if other people are vaccinated? There's so many confusing messages out there that sometimes the mission we have is just to make it in the world. Sometimes our mission is to 
thrive in the world, to have a great job, to make six figures, to have a nice car or home or family. Sometimes our mission is about us accomplishing things in this world. And sometimes if we become despairing or go into the darkness, we don't see any mission at all. We're just living in pain and hopelessness and despair, and we don't see any purpose to this life or anything beyond. And yet Jesus' ascension is asking us, calling us, even demanding of us that we take up the mission that Christ gave us to go baptize. Now, I'm ordained clergy, but if you're not, you may not be physically baptizing people. But yet, and yet, we are all called to be the hands, the feet, the mouth of Jesus Christ in the world, to bring that love of Christ, to bring the joy of Christ into the world by how we are. So, are we a joyful people? Do we understand what our mission is? Because if we do, it transforms the purpose of our lives. If we are to follow Jesus in mission, what this means is we must reorient our lives. Our lives are not about what we want to just survive here. Our lives are not about what we want to accomplish here for ourselves. Our lives are not living in despair and hopelessness. Our lives, our purpose, our mission is to bring Jesus Christ into the world and to prepare ourselves by doing so, by God's grace, to enter into his kingdom. In other words, to give up ourselves, to die to our selfishness, to let go of all the stuff of the world that binds us, that enslaves us, and to serve the Lord with all our hearts, with all our souls, and with all our might. That's the mission, folks. That's the mission that anybody who says, I believe in Jesus Christ, is on to love the Lord with everything we have, and to love our neighbor with true love like we love ourselves. The mission, it's very clear what Christ calls us to do. The question each day that we are called to contemplate is simple. Are we on this mission? If we are, we are called to ask God's grace to continue. And if we're not, we are called to ask God's grace in ourselves to change, to turn our lives around, to let go of things that aren't important, and to focus on what really matters, God, serving him, loving him, and living his mission in the world each day. And now let us listen to Zach Hicks, who sings Enthroned in Heavenly Splendor.
Catholics in the news. In her early years, Rosalind grew up in a conservative Jewish home in Brooklyn. Conservative is a branch of Judaism. Uh, I was reformed. There's Orthodox, conservative, and reformed. So she was conservative. And although Rosalind never missed the Jewish High Holy Days, in her teen, by the time she was a teenager, she and her brother had actually did what I did. They went totally away from their faith. By the time they left home, her brother was an atheist and she was an agnostic. Rosalind said there was a hole in her heart which widened as I grew older. Even understanding that we were God's chosen people didn't help me understand where man was going and why. What was her purpose? What was her mission? When she was 32, Rosalind's brother David read an article about Messianic Jews, Jews who believed that Christ was the Messiah. Neither David nor Rosalind had ever heard of anything so, as they called it, absolutely insane. Less than three months later, with curiosity about this movement back in the back of her mind, Rosalind moved to California. At the time, she had everything the world would make that said would make us happy. She had money, a successful career, and an active social life. But deep inside, there was a hole in her heart. Soon after arriving, Rosalind saw a bearded, hippie-looking man wearing a t-shirt that said, Jews for Jesus. Here was a living specimen of the people in the article, thought Rosalind. I couldn't believe those people actually existed, so I went to talk to them. The man handed her a piece of paper. It's like being born hasn't given you satisfaction, so you're to be born again, she learned. But here again, something gripped her heart. She learned two things, that God existed and that we can know it to some degree and that we can know him. Then in 1976, in one life-changing evening with those Jewish evangelical Christians, Rosalind understood for the first time that the entire Old Testament, including thousands upon thousands of lambs that were slain, pointed to Jesus Christ, the true Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And it dawned on her that God could do anything he wanted to do. It didn't make sense to her that a man could be God, but there wasn't anything wrong with God deciding to become a man. This freed her to surrender her entire heart to knowing, loving, and serving God through his son, Jesus Christ. For 14 years, Rosalind grew in her evangelical Christian faith. She studied at a theological seminary in Southern California and served as a chaplain for a nearby women's jail facility. In 1990, Rosalind accepted a position at a well-respected Protestant church as director of women's ministry. Meanwhile, Rosalind's atheistic brother had become a Catholic three years after reading the article about Jews who believed in Christ. Like St. Paul persecuting the early Christians, Rosalind thought she was doing God's will in getting Catholics to leave the church. But also, like St. Paul, God had other plans for her. In the midst of her preparation and move to take on her ministry position, her brother gave her Catholic Answers, which of course is an apologetics magazine and podcast. This rock, Rosalind, was intrigued that she read. First, she respected any attempt to defend a belief system, no matter how misguided she thought it was. And secondly, she had never met any Catholic who could defend the Catholic faith. 
What defense could a Catholic church possibly give for its existence, she wondered. I was paralyzed by that thought, that there could be any truth to the Catholic church. And so began Rosalind's quiet, behind-the-scenes search for more answers. She privately spent every spare moment reading and researching until two years later, she could no longer stay in her position in California. She left for New York, where she could pursue her investigation of the Catholic Church uninterrupted. Compelled by what she was learning, she was drawn almost against her will to embrace the Catholic Church. It not only made sense, she said, but the thought of such love consumed her and led her at last to enter the Catholic Church. At the Easter Vigil in 1995, Rosalind Moss received Jesus Christ for the first time in Holy Communion. His body, blood, soul, and divinity were now hers in a sacramental way. A few years later, she declared, God has done a transforming work in me. In every way, I've entered into a whole new way of seeing life. Rosalind moved back to California and worked on the staff of Catholic Answers in San Diego for nine years. Before, get this, she left, to found her own religious congregation, the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, in 2008, and taking on the religious name Mother Miriam. The community is located in the Diocese of Salina, Kansas. In 2015, she began a new radio program called Heart to Heart with Mother Miriam, now called Mother Miriam Live. Rosalind Moss, otherwise known now as Mother Miriam, who made the journey from being an atheist to an agnostic to a Catholic and now a nun. This week's Catholics in the News. Truth in the Media Not Forgotten Elegies for and reminiscences of a diverse cast of characters, most of them admirable, it's quite a title, is a new book by Catholic author George Weigel. At the conclusion of the first essay in George Weigel's wonderful new book of profiles, of the well-known and the lesser-known, he writes the following of a man likely in the latter category of popular recognition. Fayoud Ajami, a critical Arabist, who died in 2014, despaired what was happening among his own people. He mourned the catastrophic condition of contemporary Arab civilization, Weigel explains, who deplored the hijacking of Arab politics by self-serving dictators, virulent anti-Semites, and Islamic fanatics. Weigel concludes this first of 61 mini-biographies with this. May the great soul of this man of reason and decency be an everlasting memory and inspiration to others. Those final words could easily apply to nearly all of the people he profiles in his latest book. Not forgotten, it tells the lives highlighted of some great Catholic people, people who weren't Catholic, who were, and who really Weigel had a deep admiration for. Some will be familiar, like baseball star Jackie Robinson, who broke the color barrier in baseball, Catholic novelist and essayist Flannery O'Connor, the great conservative writer William Buckley, 
baseball manager Earl Weaver, and yes, Pope St. John Paul II, and many others who contributed to our culture. He pays homage to several of those Christians who are martyred for refusing to bow down to the crooked cross of Nazism. Profiles of Catholic Blessed Franz Jägerstater and the Lutheran Sophie Schall should be regarded required reading for those who admire sticking to one's conscience. Delving deeper into their lives should almost be a duty of a decent person. In the introduction, Weigel writes that most of those he profiled wrestled with profound changes that have come to the church in the world in his lifetime, and many of those he admired recently passed away. Their collective legacy, which binds most of them together, he writes, is that each has something to teach us today about righteous and noble living. Take, for example, folk singer Pete Seeger, who died in 2014. Weiger mischief, yeah, I can't say it. Weigel writes that the title of Seeger's famous "If I Had a Hammer," remember that song? If I changed it to "If I Had a Hammer and a Sickle," noting that he was the champion of folk music revival in America, had an unfortunate admiration for totalitarianism, Stalin, communism. His profile of Albert Einstein shows with an inventive writer under the heading, A Meaningful Cosmos. Regarding Flannery O'Connor, the hillbilly Thomist as apologist, Weigel does some of his best work. Few Catholic novelists and essayists were as groundbreaking as she was. She died in 1964 at the far too young age of 39. O'Connor was best known for the novel Wise Blood, a book of short stories and several collections of brilliant essays still relevant 70 years later. Flannery O'Connor, he writes, was an exceptionally gifted apologist, a person who explained the Catholic Church, who combined remarkable insight into the mysteries of the creed with deep and unsentimental piety, unblinking realism about the Church in its human aspect, puckish humor, and a mordant appreciation of the soul-withering acids of modern secularism. Say that ten times. Wiggle also says and writes about the many problems in our modern culture. Many of us are enthralled with celebrities. That may sound like harmless fun, but Weigel makes it clear it is not. Idolizing those with far more glitz than substance sends a message that fad rules over the timeless, that immediate feelings are more important than an honorable path. The way to righteousness is a hard path, as Weigel delineates throughout Not Forgotten. Not Forgotten, elegies for and reminiscences of a diverse cast of characters, most of them admirable, a new book by Catholic author George Weigel, telling us the importance of living as an honorable person, living the truth of the faith. This week's Truth in the Media. Two parishes in the Diocese of Sacramento recently suffered similar acts of vandalism. Three statues were vandalized outside Holy Rosary Church in Woodland, California, as statues of Mary, St. John, and St. Mary Magdalene 
at the crucifixion scene are each disfigured with black spray paint covering their eyes. Elsewhere in the diocese, a statue of Mary was defaced with black spray paint at St. John Vianney Parish in Rancho Cordova as black paint was covering her face, hands, and feet. A black cross was also traced down the main body of the statue. So let me get this straight. Somebody or somebodies have defaced the statues of the Blessed Mother and other saints. What is going on here? Has this world gone crazy? How could this have happened? I don't get it! Truth Topic of the Week Because prayer is a dialogue with God, people should not dismiss or be embarrassed by saying their prayers out loud or in a whisper, recently Pope Francis said. Vocal prayer is an essential element of the Christian life. And when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, he said it out loud, such as the Our Father. The Pope reflected on the importance of speaking the words of prayer out loud, rather than seeing prayer just as a mental exercise or a form of meditation. Not that he's saying there's anything wrong with that. But too often, he said, people think reciting a prayer is something only children or the uneducated do. But it is the way Jesus taught his followers to pray, out loud. The words we speak take us by the hand. At times, they restore flavor. They awaken even the sleepiest of hearts. They awaken forgotten feelings, and they lead us by the hand toward experiencing God, he said. People should be humble when seeing the elderly who unfailingly show their fidelity to the duty of prayer and who are often the great intercessors of parishes. They are the oaks that from year to year spread their branches to offer shade to the greatest number of people, he said. And even though, too, they must have been faced with moments of darkness and emptiness, they remained faithful to vocal prayer. Vocal prayer, he said, is like an anchor. One can hold on to the rope and remain faithful, come what may. The words of a prayer get us safely through a dark valley, direct us toward green meadows, rich in water, and enable us to feast in front of the eyes of an enemy. As Psalm 23 teaches us, the Lord is my shepherd. The words can both reflect and shape feelings, helping feelings come to light, excluding and censoring nothing. Pain is dangerous, the Holy Father went on to say, if it stays covered, closed up within us, as it can poison the soul. Pope Francis also went on to say that sacred scripture shows that the human heart can be home to harmful or hateful feelings. And when these evil feelings come knocking at the door of our heart, we must be able to diffuse them with prayer and God's words. Vocal prayer are the only ones in some way that direct us to God, the questions he wants to hear. Jesus did not leave us in a fog, he said. Pray then like this. And then he went on to the Lord's Prayer. Pope Francis, telling us the truth about the importance of vocal prayer 
our truth topic of the week. Well, we've come to the end of episode 243 of the What is Truth Catholic podcast. Before I sign off, just want to tell you that I've <clears throat> been uh, stressed and struggling a bit with everything that I'm juggling in my life, which I hope is serving God above all else. So I might go into, um, what, those of you who have been listening to this podcast for a while, what I call summer edition of the What is Truth Catholic podcast. Now, I'm going to start that in June anyway, but I may start it next week. We'll see how the spirit moves me. The summer edition, for those who have never heard it, is basically a very short, usually about 15-minute version of the podcast. It's kind of an introduction, a homily, and then a closing. So there's no segments or anything like that. So I may start that as early as next week because it allows me to need a, little, a lot less prep time that I don't have a lot of time to do. So we'll let the spirit move me, but it may start next week. So if it sounds different, it's still the right podcast. You haven't clicked on the wrong one. Uh, and if I can do a full episode, I will. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, just, you know, for those 18 of you or however many are listening, just, you know, I hope you're there um, because this is a very small in many ways ineffectual attempt on my part to do what God's calling me to do, which is to try to bring the truth of Christ to the world. Not my truth, his. Anyway, if you have any feedback about the podcast you wish to share, please email me at deaconstevew at gmail.com. Let us pray. Lord, help us to grow in faith and holiness as we contemplate your ascension. You rose to prepare a place for us. May we, your disciples here on earth, prepare the earth for you by living our mission of being you, of bringing you to those we meet. Let us pray. Lord, help us to discern the truth, the truth you call us all to live. Help us to live in this truth so that we can be as you created us to be, truly free. And let us ask our Lady's help in this journey. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now, at the hour of our death. Amen. Until next time, this is Deacon Steve. I invite you to join me as we discover together what is truth.